We are in 2 Thessalonians, so if you can grab a Bible and turn to 2 Thessalonians, we're in chapter 1 today. Give you another minute to find your seat. Turn to 2 Thessalonians. We are in chapter 1. We're in verse 5 this morning. Verse 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Last week, Pastor Ron started this passage uh, looking at uh, a new greeting to the Thessalonian church and looking at how Paul, Silas, and Timothy were, were so proud, so thankful for the Thessalonians uh, due to their enduring persecution, their faithfulness to the gospel during these times, and, and just their, their testimony to the Lord during times of difficulty, suffering, affliction, persecution. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, uh, they boast about them. They boast about them in these moments, talking about how uh, the Thessalonian believers are, are resilient, are enduring difficulties. And they, they say that they're thankful for them. They always give thanks to God for the Thessalonian believers. Today we're going to see two things. The first thing we're going to see is that in light of God's coming judgment, the Thessalonians are counted worthy of the kingdom. That is in your notes. I'm just going to give you the first two points right away. Second thing we're going to see is that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified. The name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified. Let me begin by reading verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Through persecution, Paul reminds the Thessalonians that God is still working. That in light of the present suffering, they're going to be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. The suffering of the Thessalonians does not go unnoticed. God is not blind to what the Thessalonians are enduring. And Paul highlights that point here. That through these times, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That you will be counted worthy of the kingdom. God is just highlighted by Paul here. And he's going to go into that a little bit more in the next section. But he's highlighting here this attribute of God's character in light of the present circumstances for the Thessalonians. That God is a just God. That he is a righteous judge. So God will eventually avenge what is happening to the Thessalonian believers. And it's not up to them to exact revenge or to exact justice. Rather, that is God's doing. I got a signal from the back. Moved too much. (laughs) Went off screen. (laughs) New things with live streams. I do that every Thursday, too. I go off screen, and then they all laugh in the back. Uh, God is just. God is, is a righteous judge. And, and the last thing we see here in verse 5 is that the Thessalonians are going to be counted worthy of the kingdom of God in light of what they're enduring during these times. In light of what they're enduring during these times. Now, you might think, how is enduring persecution being considered worthy of the kingdom? And that's a good question. You look back at the book of Acts, and early on, Peter and John are faced with persecution, and they get thrown into jail, and they leave, and they're singing and, and running and dancing because they were counted worthy to suffer the same suffering that their Savior did. 
they were counted worthy to suffer the same way their Savior did. And so, taking that same idea to this section, being worthy of the kingdom of God in this context is suffering like Jesus did, being persecuted like Jesus did. There's not a lot of persecution that goes on if they're not living out their faith. If they're not being faithful to the gospel, there's no reason for persecution to come. And so they are being faithful to the gospel. They're being faithful to the work of God, and persecution is coming. And so Paul says, you are being counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Let me read verses 6 through 8. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus, God considers it just to repay himself those who are afflicting his children. This is an idea from Deuteronomy 32, one that's repeated in the book of Romans and one that we see here now uh, in the book of 2 Thessalonians that God is the one who is just and he is the one who will visit uh, and, and avenge these sins against his people. Now, it would be easy to pull from this and to think about your situation and think about people who, who might demean or belittle you. The context here is very specific. It's people who are enduring persecution. People who are enduring persecution. So just because somebody cuts you off on the freeway doesn't mean God's going to exact judgment on them. Right? So people are enduring persecution here and they're suffering for the sake of the kingdom. And, and Paul's encouragement and exhortation to them is that this doesn't go unnoticed. That God is just. He is righteous. And he does not ignore what's happening to his children. He considers it just to repay it himself. He grants relief to those who are afflicted. He grants relief to those who are afflicted. And, and, and during this time, the, the Thessalonians are enduring such persecution and so much pressure from the world around them that there's got to be some sort of relief that they're desiring. There's got to be some sort of solace that they're looking for or peace in the midst of this. And Paul's assurance to them is that God doesn't ignore your suffering. He doesn't ignore your affliction. Rather, he's present even in those times, and he offers relief. We see here also that God will repay the afflictors. He will repay the afflictors. God considers it just there in verse 6 to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And Paul's going to go into that a lot more in depth in the next section here, but those who are persecuting the Thessalonians, Paul's saying, stand firm, be steadfast. God will bring you relief, and eventually those people who are afflicting you, who are causing you pain, who are persecuting you, will be judged, and they will be afflicted because of God's justice. God will come down from heaven, in verse 8, an exact judgment. And this is a serious thing. This is a serious thing that we can often read over or ignore in parts of Scripture, but the judgment of God is real and the judgment of God is coming. Look at the way it's described here. Inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. God's justice is a real thing. And God's judgment is coming. 
It's prophesied in Isaiah 66, 14 through 15. It's prophesied in the book of Revelation. And it's prophesied here. That one day God will make right what is wrong in the world. He will exact judgment on those who do not obey the gospel and those who do not know him. God will make right all the wrong in the world. Jesus will be coming back to judge. And this is something that those in the Thessalonian church and those in our world today might not have fully realized or understood. Pastor Andrew was my youth pastor for many years, which is really cool to work alongside him in light of that. But he he said often, uh, Jesus isn't going to come back little baby Jesus meek and mild. He's going to come back on a horse exacting judgment on the world who ignores him, who refutes him, who blasphemes him. He's not going to come back tender and mild. He's coming back to exact judgment. That is, as Christians, as the Thessalonians would have seen this as a comforting thing, and that's why Paul is sharing this. Paul is sharing this to say, look, there's those in the world who are going to persecute you, who are out to, to attack you and demean you and, and afflict you because of your faith in Jesus. But Paul's comfort here to the Thessalonians is it's not over. That one day those people who are afflicting you will receive judgment because of that affliction. And so the comfort is God will make right all that is wrong in the world. As Christians, that's comforting. You might know non-Christians in your family, in the world around you, and that is not a comforting thing to them. That is a scary thought. And so Paul's urging here of, of God's coming judgment has a twofold purpose here. It has, it has a comforting purpose for the Thessalonians, and it has a, a warning purpose for those who do not know the gospel. That's why he highlights uh, the two camps that it's coming to, to afflict or to judge, and it's coming to uh, judge those who do not obey the gospel and those who do not know God. That is a sobering thought, if you are not a believer, that God's judgment will come. Scripture teaches it. The world points to it. Paul highlights it here. Verses 9 and 10 says this, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Again, highlighted here by Paul is this idea of them being cast away from the presence of God into eternal punishment. Eternal punishment. We believe here at Village Bible Church that is eternal conscious torment as taught by Scripture. And we believe that is highlighted and and necessary throughout Scripture that we see this idea presented. Uh, This is a scary passage especially for non-believers, uh, that they, they might be cast away from God's presence, away from his face, away from his people, uh, to their own destruction, their own punishment. We'll come back to that in the application section a little bit. Uh, those who do not know the gospel, those who do not obey Jesus, this is their eternal end. This is their final destination. Away from the presence of God. 
says, away from the glory of his might. And then he says that God will be glorified in his saints upon his coming. God will be glorified in his saints upon his coming. He'll be marveled at among all those who believe because the testimony of Paul, Silas, and Timothy was believed. And so in Jesus returning to exact judgment, it has a, another twofold thing. It's punishment to those non-believers and it is relief to those believers. So those Thessalonians who hear this will see, yes, eventually God will make right all that is wrong in the world and eventually we will see him we will be with him. We will have eternity in his presence. And because of that, he will be glorified because his people were faithful during persecution. How comforting for the Thessalonians. In the middle of difficulty and maybe wondering how they can go on another day or how they can get through this affliction or, or the suffering, Paul says, God will be glorified in you at his return. He will afflict those who have afflicted you. He will avenge those who have persecuted you. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Despite the Thessalonian feelings, despite the feelings of the Israelites in the Old Testament, God is not blind. He does not ignore the afflictions of his people he knows. He knows. Again, we'll come back to that in a minute here. He'll be marveled at among all those who believe. The marveling, this idea of being in awe, of being relieved, of being uh, overjoyful. God coming back for his bride, for the Thessalonians on their behalf fighting those who have afflicted them because of him and his gospel. Check out the testimony of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, though. This is the reason why God will exact judgment and why he will be glorified in his saints, because the, the testimony of Paul, Silas, and Timothy was believed. And this is their, their work in Thessalonica, their, their labor, their shepherding, their, their leading of this church into God's presence, into God's glory. And they pointed the right direction. And, and, and during that time, eventually the Thessalonians came to believe and be reassured that God knows them, that God will visit those afflictors and afflict them as well. Verses 11 and 12 say this, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified. This is the purpose for which they are enduring persecution, for which God's coming judgment will, will visit the Thessalonians. And this is the reason for Paul, Silas, and Timothy's testimony, that Jesus' name might be glorified. Uh, he, he restates here the premise of verse 5 and also of verses 1 through 4, that they are enduring 
uh, suffocation, suffering and persecution for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the glory of God. That in all of this, God will be glorified. The name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified. God is to make them worthy of his calling through persecution, through trials. God is making them worthy of the kingdom. And he says that they may fulfill every resolve to do good. And this is not of their own power or of their own accord. Rather, this is through Jesus. And, and, and look at the, the reverse way that, that Paul highlights this for the Thessalonians. When, in today's world, when we have been wronged, our natural reaction is to wrong in return and to get revenge and to make things right ourselves, as if we are the judge and the executioner of justice, as if we are the true measure of justice. But that was never what Jesus taught. Jesus taught this idea of turning the other cheek, of, of responding with compassion to those who have responded to you with evil, and not to repay anyone evil for evil, but to repay good for evil. And so Paul's heart for them here is to fulfill every desire to do good. Every desire to do good. Every work of faith by his power. This is through whom and by whom they are able to do these things. Fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. It is not through the Thessalonians' own power or their own doing that they are able to do these things. They're enduring persecution. They are suffering. They are being afflicted. And in all of that, Paul's built this argument that God does not ignore it. It does not go unnoticed. But God is also going to empower them to do good and to live out their faith by his power and through his spirit. God is the one working. God is the one working. And the whole purpose here is that the name of Jesus might be glorified. In verse 12, so that the name of Jesus may be glorified in you. That's their purpose. That's their reason for living this out. To glorify the name of Jesus. Everything Paul, Silas, and Timothy do is for this end and for this purpose, that Jesus would be glorified in them. There's not a thing that goes by that they don't live that out. And, and Paul points to himself in several letters and says, if, if you're wondering how to walk, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And his, his desire for the Thessalonians here is that they would glorify Jesus in every action. According to the grace of God... They are counted worthy by God's grace and through him. We're going to spend a little bit of time in application. And if you're wondering, yes, we will probably end early. Let me camp on a couple things. Number one, where is God in affliction and suffering? I think that that is a, a question that we often ask and think about in today's world. Where is God in affliction and suffering? Now, for you, it might not be persecution. It might not be that you are being attacked for your faith or you are being marginalized because you believe in Jesus. 
For you, it might be affliction and suffering in your life, uh, going through difficult times with family members, going through difficult times in relationships, um, mental illness of, of various kinds, job loss, whatever it may be. Uh, affliction and suffering is something that we can often feel distant from God in. But I think the argument here that, that Paul's making in, in 2 Thessalonians is that God is not distant and God does not let these things go unnoticed. In your affliction and in your suffering, God is present. He is there in those circumstances and in those moments. He notices his people. He knows what they are enduring. Don't divorce God from your affliction and your suffering. For the Thessalonians, this would have felt like the case, that God was not present for them during these moments. But it was by no means the case. In fact, that's Paul's goal in highlighting these things, that God will win in the end and he will judge righteously. So when people look at the world and they ask you, where is your God in the evil? Where is your God in the affliction? Where is your God in the suffering? And you can say, he's there. He knows. And he is working all things together for good. One day, all things will be made right. The kingdom of darkness of this world might have a few moments. But eventually, Jesus makes things right. He comes back to judge. He comes back to work things back for his pleasure, for his good. He has dealt death and sin a fatal blow through his death and resurrection on the cross. And his work's not finished yet. He is coming back. Don't count God absent in your trials. As you endure suffering and persecution or affliction, if you are enduring persecution, as you endure these things, don't count God as absent. Don't forget God is in those moments with you. He knows what you're going through. His desire is to be with you. And maybe a testimony to his presence in your trials is that you continue to get through them. And maybe if you don't get through them, the comfort is knowing that God is still there with you in the midst of those difficulties, in the middle of those trials, that God is still with you. He is present. He is noticing. He is with you. He is working. God is not a God who sits on his hands on the throne and lets things go by like a clockmaker. Rather, he is intricately and intimately involved in every aspect of your life, your suffering, your affliction does not go unnoticed. God is present in those circumstances. In verse 11, we saw that, that Paul's desire was for them to continue to do good, continue to live out their faith by the power of his might. So in your affliction, in your suffering, continue to do good. Continue to do good. This is countercultural. This is the opposite of what we are taught in the world today. But in the middle of your difficulty, how do you live out your faith? How do you respond in a way that glorifies God? Are you responding by complaining? Are you responding by mumbling about your circumstances or doing evil to those who have done evil to you? 
trying to figure out a, a plan of revenge, or are you responding by, by looking for opportunities to do good? To use your trials to further the kingdom. Is that your goal or your desire in difficulties? Application number two here. What is your testimony? What is your testimony? Uh, maybe a different question would be, what is your legacy? There are people around you who watch your life. Those of you who are parents, it's very obvious who those are. Those of you who aren't, believe it or not, there are people around you who watch your life and learn things from you. Is your testimony pointing to God? Paul, Silas, and Timothy told the Thessalonians that, that God will be glorified in them because their testimony was believed. As you live through difficult times, afflictions, suffering, what are you telling the world by how you live in those moments? Even if you're in this room and you're in junior high or high school, people are watching you. I can't tell you how many times I've learned things from youth, from people who, who might be looked at as, well, they're not real adults yet. Uh, one day they might be able to contribute something. People are watching you, and they're learning things from the way you live your life, from your legacy. Nobody's off the hook in the kingdom of God. As a Christian, as somebody who comes and glorifies and worships God on Sunday mornings or Thursdays, you are leaving a legacy. There's people around who are watching the way you live. You can look up video after video and read article after article of people who leave the church or don't want to be a part of the church because of Christians. The people of God are hypocrites. People in churches don't live out their faith. What legacy are you leaving? Are you different in this world that hates church, that hates God? What is your testimony? My prayer is that, that our testimony as Village Bible Church would be that God would be glorified in us upon his visitation, upon his return. That's my prayer. Several Thessalonians were spared judgment. That was Paul, Silas's, and Timothy's testimony. Several of them were spared judgment. Uh, Nabil Qureshi was a, a Christian apologist who died recently. And he, he lived out as a Muslim. And he said he was curious why Christians didn't share the gospel with him. And his conclusion was either they didn't believe it or they didn't care if he went to hell. And that's a heavy thing. That's not something that we think about often, but Paul walks through here the, the, the uh, eventual destination of those who don't believe the gospel. And he made it very clear in there. If you don't believe the gospel, if you don't walk in faith with God, live out your faith daily, one day, Jesus will come back. And he will cast those away from his presence eternally to eternal punishment. 
Are we sharing the gospel with people? Is our desire to see them saved? Let me walk through with you this last point in application here. That the name of Jesus may be glorified. That the name of Jesus may be glorified. That was everything for Paul. That was everything. It comes out in all of his letters. It comes out in all of his writings. It comes out in his life. That his desire was to glorify the name of Jesus. This relates to your testimony or to your legacy. But is this your marching order? See, as Christians, we are in a war uh, depicted throughout Scripture that we are in a war, a spiritual war against uh, the forces of darkness, against evil. Uh, We are trying to win souls to the kingdom. Our goal is to glorify the name of Jesus. Is this your marching order? Is this your goal in everything in life? There are times where I'll be in discussions or in conversations with people or arguments, and I'll have to stop and apologize and walk it back because I start to realize that maybe what I'm doing is not glorifying the name of Jesus. Maybe my goal internally was to glorify the name of AJ. Is your goal at times to glorify your own name? Is your goal at times to glorify the name of another? Maybe a spouse. Maybe your family name. If it's not the name of Jesus, it is not the final aim of a believer. Now, there are ways to glorify the name of Jesus through your interactions with your family and through your spouse, but your final and ultimate goal is to glorify the name of Jesus. Your goal is not to glorify the name of a political party or a politician. Your goal is not to glorify the name of your argument on social media or even the name of a sports team or an athlete. Glorify the name of Jesus. Let that be your marching order that everything you do in life comes back to that sole purpose. Is what I'm doing right now glorifying God's name or is it selfish? Is it self-serving? Every aim we have in life, everything we do must come back to this one goal. That God would be glorified in us and through us. Things were serious in the Thessalonian church. They were enduring suffering, persecution. They were being afflicted. In all of that, it was a singular focus for them to glorify the name of Jesus. Paul continues to give thanks to God for them and says that God will be glorified in them upon his return. Every aim we have in life must come back to this singular goal that Jesus would be glorified in us. Use that as your barometer. Use that as your measuring stick for everything. Is what you're doing and how you're interacting with people glorifying the name of Jesus. Three points in application, two points in this sermon. But ultimately, 
May everything we do be to glorify Jesus. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for your word in this section in 2 Thessalonians. Thank you for the testimony of Paul, Silas, and Timothy that we as Gentiles might believe in your gospel. Thank you for their faithfulness. I do ask in this room that you would bring faithfulness in your people. That as we live out this faith, that we would glorify you, and when you return, you would be glorified in us. Lord, that we would marvel at you and be so joyful when we see you come. Be with us this week, in Jesus' name, amen.